Hi everyone, welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Nick Rohrkraut. And I'm Sophia Simonello. And today we have a really exciting episode. We are doing another installment of our They Won For That series, talking about one of my favorite categories at the Oscars, Best Cinematography, and an absolute legend of that category, one of the most well-known DPs out there, Roger Deakins. He's been in the field for over 40 years making movies and he has 15 nominations at the Oscars a few wins we'll get into all of that but I am really excited to talk about his career yeah when I think of cinematography when I think of the craft that goes into a movie he is one of the first names that pops into my mind and Even if I don't love the film itself, if he's working on it, it's almost guaranteed that I'm going to love whatever he brings to the movie. So he's just such an exciting collaborator and technician in the industry. And I love most of everything that he's done. And I'm really excited to talk about him. And I think for this series, you know, we've talked about people like Al Pacino and Kate Winslet, who maybe won for movies that we didn't like where we thought they had better work. But the reason why we're talking about him is just because it took so long for him to win. And why were Blade Runner 2049 and 1917 the films that finally made Academy voters say, it's time to reward Roger Deakins after decades of work, after double-digit nominations? Why are these movies the ones? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree about his movies, even if some of them maybe are drag. I feel like I can think back to different shots from that movie and like how crisp and beautiful his style is. And even he says he doesn't necessarily have a certain style. I think there are other cinematographers, namely Chivo, that we have mentioned that is like very apparent. Like you see a still from The Revenant and you know it's him with that wide-angle lens, or Birdman, similarly. But I think with Roger, it's he called it this heightened naturalism, which I think is why I usually like these movies, too. It's putting us in a place that is relatable, and you're traveling to this other world that he has chosen specifically for us, like, what we're seeing. And he has such a careful eye, which is probably why at least from how he sounds and how people talk about him and write about him in interviews and articles, easy to work with. There's sort of this effortless feeling when I read about his experiences. Yeah, I think he just also seems like a very humble person when he's talking about all of his movies. And he even said that he looks at himself sort of as a new student almost, or like a new hire with each project, which is so crazy to think about when you're a legend who has been working for so many decades in the field. But I think you can you can definitely see that approach, that eagerness, that curiosity that comes through as he puts new things into all of these films. I think he does have a signature style. I think one of his best qualities as a cinematographer is mise-en-scene and just how he plays with angles and with lines and how every single thing in whatever shot you're looking at is important and conveys, I think, something deeper about the character that's in there. I feel like he really cares about character, but also establishing a very clear visual tone 
that really connects with the director that he's working with. Like when you are watching a Deacons collaboration with the Coen brothers, who he's worked with many times, it feels like a Deacons film and a Coen brothers film. The same thing with when he works with Denis Villeneuve or when he works with Sam Mendes. You can feel that director's vision very clearly there, but you can also feel how much of a mastery he has on the tone of whatever they are working with. And along with that, I feel like he is really, really good at making the location a character. Mm-hmm. In a lot of these movies, you think of Fargo or 1917, Blade Runner 2049, Going Into the Future, Shawshank Redemption. You think of these movies and you can see stills of where they're at. And that is always important to the story and the characters, like you're saying. So yeah, I definitely love that about his work too. So you mentioned that he is a two-time winner and he has 13 other nominations. We'll just read through these quickly. He was nominated first for The Shawshank Redemption, then Fargo, Cundin, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, The Man Who Wasn't There, No Country for Old Men, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford, The Reader, True Grit, Skyfall, Prisoners, Unbroken, and Sicario. Before... He ultimately won for Blade Runner 2049 and 1917. So those are some pretty important movies of the like 20th and 21st century. The Shawshank Redemption, I think, like you said, right, that the prison itself being such a character in that and then going to Fargo. But yeah, just hearing the names of these films, like these are films that are very important to a lot of people when you think back about like the last 20, 30 years in filmmaking. Did you get to Cundin? I've seen it. Oh, you did. Okay. I thought you hadn't, but this is an interesting one to note because it's Scorsese, also (laughs) a Marty film that feels like such an outlier. It does. I wish he would work with Marty again. I feel like a gangster film would also be very weird for (laughs) Roger, though, too. I know. I I wish he would have really quick tangent the cinematography in silence is stunning Mm. but i could totally see him working on a movie like silence where wide open spaces are more important or it's this like very intense character study that of course is rodrigo prieto and he does a great job but i think if i wanted deacons to do a scorsese film it would be silence Mm -hmm. but yeah this was an interesting choice i think because they chose him because of his early work in documentary filmmaking and trying to bring that to the story about the Dalai Lama. A totally deserved nomination. That was the year of Titanic winning, which is just a behemoth of a film. And I looked back and I was like, oh, would I give it to Kundan instead? And I'm like, mm. I think the I film would. work there is great. <laughs> it's, it's close. Mm-hmm. I do like what he's doing. Again, it's this location-based, you're in Tibet following these characters and it is just beautiful it really reminded me of the last emperor that we covered a while back so other wins that he's had besides his two oscar wins he has won five baftas there he's won for the man who wasn't there no country for old men true grit blade runner 2049 and 1917 so three coen brothers movies And then, of course, at the ASC Awards, so the American Society of Cinematographers, he won for The Shawshank Redemption, The Man Who Wasn't There, Skyfall, Blade Runner 2049, and 1917. 
And then earlier in his career, he won at the Indie Spirit Awards for Fargo and A Serious Man. Do you have any favorite Deacons movies that were not nominated, but where you really liked his work? There are a few others that I love, like Doubt, in a similar way that I love A Serious Man too. Not only do I love the story, but some of the shots I can think of him being on the roof and looking over the fence. And then Revolutionary Road. Again, kind of a bleak movie, but beautifully made. It has this like Stepford Wives sterile feel to it for most of the movie, and it's definitely a part of his work. Do you have any that you like that haven't been nominated? I really liked Doubt. I think that the cinematography in the movie is actually underrated. There's this really, really beautiful shot of Meryl Streep's character. She's looking out of a window, and you can see her face like semi-reflected in the window with the church. It's very unsettling and uneasy. Mm -hmm. And again, it's that thing about him using cinematography to convey something about the character in the shot. And I would also say The Big Lebowski. This movie is probably the most playful Deacons has been. I think most of the Coen Brothers movies, you can feel that more than something a little bit more sterile, like a Villeneuve movie. But there are shots in a similar way that you said for A Serious Man, where I can remember these shots so clearly. Um, I also really like his work in Hail Caesar. I think it's very fun. And I like when he does like very vibrant, colorful period films. It's just a fun, underrated Coen Brothers movie that I really liked. That was kind of pushed aside when it came out. But yeah, I really like his work in both of those two. And I just wanted to mention also, he has a podcast called Team Deacons where he talks with editors, directors, other collaborators from his films and from other films. I think it's so fascinating to hear these conversations because they do get a little bit more in depth and like, him talking to Dany about their work on a film and like the editor from Sicario and getting like into the nitty gritty of single shots and what they convey and why they did them and how they made them happen and the rigs they use or the lighting and to hear it come from him and try to understand where he's coming up with this eye to style a movie I think is so fascinating so I definitely recommend listening to some of these episodes I think there are like 140 out right now. Yeah, it's also cool, I think, in addition to hearing him talk to his collaborators, hearing him speak with other cinematographers. He has interviews with Bruno Delbanel and Darius Wolski and John Seal even. So it's just, I think, always cool to hear how different artists in the same field talk about their work and it's a little inside baseball but it's just a great way I think to get to know how you would put together a movie in that way Mm -hmm. one thing that Deacon says about his work is that he's there to set the stage for the actors to allow them a space for them to work and I like that because it shows how a movie is a collaboration and without him and his planning he loves storyboards and that's something that Dany learned from him. It's going shot by shot through a movie and planning it out, the lighting choices, the framing, what's in the shot, the camera movements, the blocking for the actors, you know, that comes from cinematography even. So there are all of these elements that he's doing not only for the style and the look of a movie, but he's getting ready for the actors to do their work and then eventually for the editor to put it all together. 
And storyboards will come up later in one of my picks. (laughs) (laughs) So what we usually do on these episodes, we'll go through the person that we're talking about, their Oscar win or Oscar wins, and then we will decide if we would swap one of these out for another movie or if we would keep everything as it is and maybe give him an additional Oscar. So the first one that we have is Blade Runner 2049. This is Denis Villeneuve's follow-up to Ridley Scott's Blade Runner. Description here, 30 years after the events of the first film, a new Blade Runner, LAPD Officer K, unearths a long-buried secret that has the potential to plunge what's left of society into chaos. K's discovery leads him on a quest to find Rick Deckard, a former LAPD Blade Runner who has been missing for 30 years. And this, of course, stars Ryan Gosling, Harrison Ford, Ana de Armas, Robin Wright has a great cast. Before I ask you how you feel about this movie, I will come out and say that this is my favorite Denis Villeneuve film. I really, really like Blade Runner 2049. I think of all the Denis movies, this was probably the scariest for them to make to not only follow up Blade Runner, which is such a sacred text in the sci-fi world, but in also in continuing a story right where it left off. I think that's something very hard to tackle, but they definitely achieved it. I love the look of this movie. It is an easy movie to rewatch even at, I think it's like two and a half hours and Mm -hmm. it flies by. Yeah. I just remember when I first saw this movie too, how in awe I was of the colors in the movie, of the purples and of the oranges. And I love how he uses these architectural spaces with these like very sharp severe lines and he uses those to kind of guide you through the scene or frame a character within a frame within a frame in a shot I think it's just a very very cool thing that he does and why I really like this movie I have to ask you and this is sort of shady um because I didn't like the cinematography in Dune and I need to know did you watch Blade Runner 2049 wishing that Deacons did Dune. You know how much I like Dune. I don't think I necessarily needed Deacons to shoot it, but that's interesting because when Danny talks about Dune, Danny says like how much he learned from having Deacons on set and collaborating with him because he could bring that into Dune and use that with Greg Frazier. And watching Blade Runner 2049 this week, I definitely saw and heard... <laughs> parts of dune in there so they definitely distilled like those loud hums and that sandy feeling not that there was that like red haze in dune but some of those feelings those futuristic attitudes were definitely in both films yeah i'm glad that you noticed that because i i just (laughs) it was just a thought that i had but i loved learning that deacon's He uses practical lighting, but in Blade Runner 2049, he had to use this shifting lighting. So nothing was stationary. Everything was moving. And that, to me, just seems like it would be an incredible challenge. And Mm -hmm. when he talks about this, it's, you know, if you're in the future, this light source isn't the sun. So it's a totally different way to think about light. And when I hear things like that, I'm like, that is so cool. I would never even, Mm -hmm. this is why I'm not a cinematographer, one of the many reasons, but it's just how do you think of something like that? You have to totally think of how you can 
change and manipulate lighting to reflect this brand new environment. Just also, I think, how he uses shadows and fog and the color again, I think is just so beautiful. And because of the way that he uses the fog and this like mist throughout to create this setting, it just reiterates again throughout the movie that the Earth isn't habitable anymore. Which really is another way to convey themes and like climate change and whatnot. Like just by how you shoot a setting how you show this earth like from above they actually flew through vegas on a helicopter and used those movements in the shots over the vegas we see in this movie but also like when they're flying over the san diego region of like the landfill that is just the entire city is it's scary to see but also watching this movie it's just compiled of beautiful beautiful shots So I think just at the Oscars this year, the other nominees in the category were The Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Mudbound, and The Shape of Water. Why do you think it took so long for him to win? And would you give him a win here over the other nominees? Well, in this category, the only other movie I really wanted to win was Dunkirk. But I'm happy that Blade Runner 2049 won. I do think he deserves this Oscar. In terms of taking so long, it's so frustrating. I think there are certain years where I hoped he would have won, but there's just a bigger movie or like a best picture winner that takes it over. I mentioned Titanic earlier, but the year before, again, with Fargo was The English Patient. So you have these just bigger movies that end up taking over. Even before then in 1994, like The Shawshank Redemption is incredible on how he uses grays and again reading about how he used the location and they made up this entire new set that was almost identical to that Ohio reformatory just like blew my mind but that year was Legends of the Fall that one so I think just over time I'm sure he was like close second at least a handful of these times but I think coming into digital filmmaking is also a part of it and he like wasn't scared by that you know a lot of people advocate for film and it gives this certain feeling to like old movies and old Hollywood but he finds it easier to work with and like not sad that things are moving this way because it allows him different things with lighting and darkness and his movies especially with Denis focus on darkness and really play with shadows so well So maybe that's why also he won two in three years is because it's playing with these different elements. And I think people love that, at least in like modern cinema. I agree. I think what you said is right. And I feel like if you look at all of his nominations, there are a couple where he won the BAFTA or won the ASC, but then didn't end up winning the Oscar. I think that the most criminal instance of this was actually for The Man Who Wasn't There, which is my favorite Coen Brothers film visually. It is just beautiful. Just watch this movie and be in awe of Deacons' work on this. And it lost to Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, which is just an example of like this bigger movie coming in at the Oscars and taking over, winning more awards. And he just didn't stand a chance there, unfortunately. And then, like, at ASC, for instance, he won for Skyfall, but then lost to Life of Pi. And Life of Pi was just 
that was always going to win. When we get to Blade Runner 2049, what is interesting to me is that The Shape of Water, I think, has really beautiful cinematography. And that was our Best Picture winner, but it didn't win here. And you also have Dunkirk, which I love the cinematography in Dunkirk as well. But at this point, I do think he finally won because it was just undeniable. I remember that season everyone kept saying like this is Deacons' time like it's it's finally here he has to win for this and i feel like it was just this overwhelming need to correct something it was mm-hmm. his time in the same way that pacino it was his time for scent of a woman i think this was the time for Deacons, and he won all season even though there were other beautifully shot movies i feel like this work was just such it was on such a grand scale and People responded really well to the movie and to his work in the movie that he just couldn't be denied, finally. And then following that up with 1917, that was a big movie at the Oscars. A lot of people thought it might win Best Picture. And a big part of that was that Deacons' work in that movie made you feel everything that Sam Mendes wanted you to feel in that movie. So I think it's interesting because he had sort of both things here. He ended up like being that person who did benefit from having a really big movie at the Oscars and winning, even though maybe some other movies that year you could argue were better, but then also having that overdue narrative that got him his first one. And just talking about 1917 a little bit here, first, just a description, April 6th, 1917, as an infantry battalion assembles to wage war deep in enemy territory, two soldiers are assigned to race against time and deliver a message that will stop 1,600 men from walking straight into a deadly trap. It was directed by Sam Mendes, Stars George McKay, Colin Firth, Andrew Scott, also some newcomers. But I think the main talk of this movie was that it was a one shot. It looked like it was shot in one take, which is very hard and can seem borderline gimmicky sometimes. But it really did work here. And I think that's why it succeeded. If it did feel a little fake, then this movie would not have done as well. This wouldn't have been the overwhelming favorite and almost the shock that it lost to Parasite. But I think the cinematography definitely is why it was in the conversation for so long. I totally agree. And this, funnily enough, is the first time I've ever gone to see a movie because of the DP in my lifetime that I can remember. I mean, besides seeking out like Gordon Willis movies, for instance, and just seeing his older work, I remember, I mean, I'm not a big fan of Sam Mendes and his movies, a period film about World War One that's shot in one take. I just didn't really care when I heard about it. Like, it was just not high up on my list compared to some of the other movies that year. But when I saw that Deacons was working on it, I thought, okay, Deacons doing this like one take film? What will that look like? How will he pull that off? And especially on first watch, I was very blown away and moved by it. It really, Mm. really connected with me. And while it wasn't my favorite movie of the year or my pick for best picture, I think that a huge reason why it works is because of the cinematography and because of those beautiful shots that make you feel so emotionally invested in the characters and in their journey back. It's just like, it's gripping. Mm -hmm. There are certain shots that just left me in awe. Like, really early on, they're walking through the battlefield, like, in and out of these trenches that are filled with water, dead bodies, shrapnel, and the camera is moving 
in and out of these spaces so fluidly and it's just beautiful to watch as you're following these characters walking these extended lengths and again he plays with darkness really well and they have later on i think the largest rig for when they shot that burning church scene which again Mm -hmm. is just beautiful dark the only lighting there is from the fire and you see that on his face i think it's such an achievement and not one you think deacons would take on for sure and i loved learning that when he first got the script and he saw at the very beginning like the intention to make it look like one take he thought it was a mistake (laughs) it's like oh i just thought this was some like director's note but i think why it's so impressive it's such a brand new challenge for him and he just embraced it head on Mm -hmm had a lot of fun in rehearsals and in putting everything together they rehearsed a lot so that they could get everything right and make sure that they could make everything really convincing and I think they did a good job with that you mentioned the burning church that in the movie I remember I saw this movie with my sister and when that shot when you see that burning church we both turned and looked at each other and we were like oh my god that is like one of the most beautiful things i've seen in a movie Mm -hmm. all year it's just stunning and he like you mentioned just putting that rig together and figuring out how to light something like that so convincingly to give off this effect of this burning church and everything that that means for the character for george Mackay in that moment it's very intense and it's it's moving. Mm-hmm. It's hard to not feel something when you see that. So talking about the Oscars here, this question is really for you, but <laughs> the other nominees were The Irishman, Joker, The Lighthouse, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So would you have picked a different winner? Because two of these were your favorites from that year. They were, but not because of their cinematography. So I actually would not have picked another winner. I would have gone with Deacon's. Um, for 1917 in this category. I know you're talking about Joker as my my favorite movie of the year. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, even The Lighthouse, that work is, I mean, it's bizarre. It's cool, yeah. Having, yeah, the black and white. Jaron Blaschke. Yeah, it's always good to get a fun additional Mm -hmm. nominee like that that you're maybe not expecting. Yeah, but as much as I love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and The Irishman, cinematography, like I, I still would give Deacons the edge. Yeah, and so would I. I think these are two really deserving wins, and I wouldn't have swapped either of them out. Yeah, I wouldn't either. I think that when I'm thinking about both of these, what Deacons does in Blade Runner 2049, specifically with color and like how he uses the greens to signify light and the pinks and the purples to hint maybe at like love or romance or good things, how he uses white to convey some sort of sense of truth for the character. It's just, it's, I love, love, love nerding out to things like that when I'm watching movies and being able to use his cinematography to analyze the movie further. He also mentioned that he was really influenced by Tarkovsky, specifically Solaris, which I recently watched and loved, and I can definitely see how he wanted to create something new and not so much connected to the original Blade Runner with Ridley Scott, but wanting to move into a new a new film entirely with Villeneuve. So I love that win. 1917, same thing. I think he really deserved it. And just being able to embrace the new challenge of shooting something that 
is convincing as one take is very impressive and just it's a good win I think for his career because it shows how he can still continue to sort of reach new heights with cinematography Mm -hmm. and we've already gotten a glimpse and you've mentioned before on the pod that he is shooting Sam Mendes's next film that is coming out this award season Empire of Light and those still so far look so beautiful so we'll hear back from that I mean very soon to see audience reactions out of TIFF but obviously I'm excited to see what he does next especially from here and I'm so so excited to see how he lights a cinema that just sounds (laughs) glorious right like how he would work with those old lights and I'm excited to hear like what types of lenses he uses like if he goes for an anamorphic because it has that like beautiful glow around it or if he does something different I don't know Mm -hmm. it's exciting I can't wait to hear about it and of course to see the movie so he's keeping his two Oscar wins amazing do you think he should have won for one of his other nominations along with these I do and this isn't so much of and I think he was better than the competition win than just I think this is his best work in his career and if you have a name like Roger Deakins you want them to also win for like their best movie And I think that is Andrew Dominic's film, The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. If you haven't seen this, it is what I would call a Victorian Western epic. It feels very much like it is paying homage to these old like John Ford Westerns while also having these sort of Victorian sensibilities, having gothic elements at play, which I really like. We'll just get it out there that this did lose to there will be blood which i'm fine with like i love there will be blood i love robert elswitz work there deacons was also nominated this year for no country for old men which i also love that movie and i think his cinematography is beautiful in that movie too but here i think it's really unique and it's different from anything else he's ever done and he talks about how he usually storyboards with the coens they storyboard everything out And he barely has to even communicate with them because everything is so pre-planned. Like they do everything Mm -hmm. ahead of time and they work shot by shot. And Andrew Dominic is not that way. He spends a lot of time considering what he wants to do with what they've shot after they've already shot it. Deacon says he really ponders and agonizes. (laughs) (laughs) So I think working with a director like that, it's just more intense and there is a lot of planning but a lot happens on the day of so I feel like that is another challenge for someone like Deakins who is sort of like a second in command as a cinematographer to make these key shots happen in addition to that I think that there is this train robbery that Mm -hmm. looks incredible it looks like it was just ripped directly from the time and Deacons said he had this major challenge, which was that he had to convincingly make it look like it was all lit by lanterns. Like, how <laughs> how do you do yeah. that? That is so cool to just, like, make all of this lighting look period correct, very realistic, and cinematic. It's a major, major success on his part that this scene is just so, so beautiful. 
and I think the best work in his career. And there are just also some beautiful shots. I feel like I always talk about Days of Heaven, that Malick film, but there are shots that reminded me of that and beautiful landscapes, the way that he plays with lighting Brad Pitt as this Western hero figure is very interesting too. So I feel like, again, it's all connected to character. It's all period correct. And it just, it feels like an epic. And I feel like that is just such an intense challenge to create this brand new classic, really. Yeah, that train scene, he mentions that as the peak of his career. Because that shot of that train arriving that's backlit by these lantern lights is just so damn beautiful. Mm-hmm. And the way it really is almost a direct homage to the Great Train Robbery, where that train is coming at you almost through the screen that scared people at the time. But the way it comes up and then like slams into the camera and the camera is pushed back by it. Oh, I love. Oh, my. Mm-hmm. It's just incredibly beautiful. And I rewatched this two years ago. I looked at Letterboxd. And my review was Roger Deakins five out of five. Fire emoji, fire emoji. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. I really did love it <laughs> because of him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I definitely love this. All of these movies we're talking about do give Western vibes and what I'm going to mention, too. So it's, again, these outdoor spaces using nature. I think it's interesting that that comes up as a recurring motif for him. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I mean, so many people I think who work in film, they cite Westerns as being really big influences because Westerns were so popular and were the Western genre was key for so many filmmakers early in their career. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you're sticking with Blade Runner 2049 and 1917 too. But if you could give him an additional Oscar, what would you pick? I'm going with Sicario, sticking with my man Denis. (laughs) And I absolutely love this movie. It's just as thrilling to rewatch. And thinking back to when I saw it originally, I loved the cinematography. And there's a shot near the end that just like my jaw was on the floor. So Sicario, we're in Arizona and Mexico. So we're, again, in these desert spaces. So he loves to play with the combination of lighting and color at like dusk and dawn. The sunsets and sunrises are just so beautiful here. And there's a scene later on in the film, we're in a tunnel, and there's some night vision going on too, but how he plays with darkness is so good at affecting the viewer too, making you feel so anxious and worried because you can't see anything, and that's what the characters are seeing too. And then throughout the movie, I loved how the camera moves, kind of similarly to the train shot from the assassination of Jesse James, They're on these Jeeps in another really intense chase scene. And the way the camera like bounces with the Jeep, I don't know. It gives this realistic feeling that you're right there in the action. And he definitely embraced that through this movie because you're just on the edge of your seat the whole time, at least in like feeling the anxiety and the risk that these characters are taking and going through. When I think of Deacon's work in Sicario specifically, I always think about the helicopter shot, like the aerial shots when you see the highway at -hmm. the U.S.-Mexico border. And I think all of that aerial footage that you get um, and how the camera is moving 
is that definitely adds to the tension in that scene and in the movie and is just a really a really creative way to show that and I feel like again it's sort of what you mentioned earlier what we've been talking about how Deakins thinks of his landscapes as almost other characters in the film I think I definitely get that here and I agree with you I think that the shots in Sicario are really beautiful and the way that he plays with the darkness and with the light is very very memorable and this is a good pick too I think for a win for him I think why I also like it as just a movie regardless of like what category we're talking about is because it doesn't spoon feed you the movie starts and this is also part of the conversation from the episode on his podcast of speaking to the editor of these opening shots and they talk about like the first four shots for like 20 minutes but you don't really know who these characters are but you're watching them and that's how you learn where you are what they're doing why this is important and I definitely like that versus like having a voiceover tell us like where we are or or like a title card on the screen (laughs) or something it's the close-up of Emily Blunt like in fear in the back of this van being transported and you see the gear so you're like trying to figure out what's happening and then the shot of the SWAT car ramming through the wall of this house which is just (laughs) amazing (laughs) and then the bodies inside the walls it's like the decisions that they made just felt new in like a really unsettling way kind of like how seven was for me so yeah I really recommend this movie there are also just some fun Dainey bits there's one quote they hide the entrance behind an old car which made me think of prisoners oh okay I was just like so exhausted by this movie to be (laughs) honest that I I was not paying attention for the fun Villeneuve (laughs) bits (laughs) you know I was and then Mm -hmm. there's another she's a thumper which made me think of Dune yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) but like this I think catapulted Daniel Kaluuya. He was in Get Out two years later, I think. But I think this is also Emily Blunt's best film by far. I love her here. The Devil Wears Prada is her best film. This is like grown (laughs) Emily Blunt, not like teenage (laughs) assistant. She's grown. I love her. I, I just I watched that movie not that long ago. And I was like, she's so perfect in this. I love her. So this year at the Oscars, this was 2015. This is a crazy year this is so hard but the revenant one this was emmanuel lubezki but also carol was nominated the hateful eight and mad max fury road so the competition this year was stiff to say the Mm -hmm. least and i still think i would have given it over the revenant carol and mad max i don't have that conversation right now it's (laughs) it's so hard i I was gonna say i was like are you sure (laughs) it's so hard Spoiler alert, we will be talking about Mad Max Fury Road later this year in another episode. So we can maybe get into cinematography then. Oh, mm-hmm. that movie. This year at the Oscars is a painful one for many reasons. <laughs> but I love Ed Lockman's work on Carol. That's probably my pick, but I also don't want to be oh, I don't know if I can I don't know if I'm ready for that yet either. To See? say. <laughs> it's yeah, hard. it's a it's tough. <laughs> Okay, so going through these four movies that we talked about, Blade Runner 2049, 1917, 
The assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford for me and Sicario for you. We're going to ask our famous question. Okay. For Blade Runner 2049, if you could give this movie one Oscar, would it be Deacons for cinematography? Yes, I think it would. Me too. I think sound is close, but this movie is all about the look and feel of what you're watching. And that is all Deacons. I completely agree. So then same question for 1917. Yes. This is the reason I saw the movie and I think why I felt so emotionally invested in it. He does some very inventive things, I think, with the camera work here, using Steadicam, playing with natural light, and with this rig that he built. So I, yeah, I would say definitely Deacons. And I would too, for all the reasons that I mentioned earlier, it succeeds because of, I'm sure, how Deacons planned, but how fluidly this movie moves. And it's beautiful whether it works on rewatch or not, I think you can still watch it and appreciate the visuals and the effects. And that's, again, Deacons' work. So then if you could give your pick one Oscar, would it be for Deacons? It would. I think that the cinematography is far and above the most stunning, beautiful element of the movie and why I remember it as a really great movie from 2007. Do you like Brad here? Yes, I do. I love Brad here. Okay. Of course. Just making sure. What kind of question is that? (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen Bullet Train yet, though, so maybe I don't love him that much. (laughs) And if you could give your pick, Sicario, one Oscar, would it be Best Cinematography for Deacons? Again, I think four for four, I would. The score here is great, but again, when I think of this movie, I mean, it's partly of the Denis-Deacons collaboration, but it's... The shots of the desert and me tearing up at the final shot of watching these kids play soccer. Again, there are like multiple shots that I think of and it's beautiful work. So that was our episode on the career of Roger Deakins and why it took so long for him to win an Oscar. But I think that both of his wins for Blade Runner 2049 and 1917 are great wins for all of the reasons that we discussed. And I think... One of the reasons why we did this episode, too, is because we're so excited to see what his work on Empire of Light is like. So we'll definitely be talking about him again this season, and I'm sure he will deliver once again. We are rooting for that 16th nomination. (laughs) (laughs) He's not far. The most nominations of any cinematographer, there are two that have 18. So he's still got a lot of work left in him, I think. And who knows? Maybe he can one day become the most nominated cinematographer. That would be crazy. 19. We should just want 20 by that point. 20 nominations. But yeah, I had fun talking about him. And a lot of these movies I would absolutely rewatch. And I love that he has such a variety of filmography. I think that's, you know, he's proud of his career and that he's done so much. But I think that speaks to who he is as not only a filmmaker, but as a person who is up for any challenge. I think that's fun in looking at a movie and being like, okay, now what can we do? What else is there to push cinema forward? And looking back through these movies has been so fun in doing that. And next time on Oscar Wilde, we have another movie trade. This is a themed movie trade. I, oh my gosh, I cannot wait for this. Two of my favorite movies of all time. We'll do a little performance 
artist dancing movie trade. <laughs> we'll be talking about Powell and Pressburger's film The Red Shoes and Bob Fosse's All That Jazz. I cannot wait to talk about both of these movies. I'm so excited. The Red Shoes was a first time watch for me last year. A five star film. Absolutely beautiful. Pushed cinematography again to its limits and just left me awestruck. I'm so excited. I haven't seen all that jazz, so I'm excited for that too. Oh my God. I'm really scared <laughs> what you'll think. It really, really sticks with you in a deep way. And it would have been my winner for best director that year. I think what Fosse does, there's nothing like Fosse choreography. You'll see it when you watch it. And it's one of my favorite winners in the editing category ever. The editing is just <laughs> jaw-dropping. I love it. Ooh, I love this movie. Love that. Yeah. And so just some more Patreon update information. So the Patreon site is up. We are so excited. We've posted about it on social media. So you can go to our link and view more information about the tiers of membership and how you can sign up, everything like that. But just a general breakdown. So our first tier, this is how you'll get early access to our regular season episodes. So if you want to listen to our episodes on Thursdays, like you used to before we switched our episode release to Fridays, you can do that with our first tier. Our second tier of membership will be all about our bonus series, Oscar Wilde After Dark, which we talked a little bit about last time. But basically, this is just a more unfiltered series that we're doing where we will look at the work of Oscar winners and nominees in projects that would never, ever, ever get them Oscar nominations. Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez's films together. I'm very excited for our slew of episodes around Halloween where we're going to talk about nominated actors and actresses who decided to make horror movies or very campy cult classics. So here we're thinking... Octavia Spencer in Ma, Jennifer Lawrence in Mother, Kathleen Turner in Serial Mom. Like those mm. are just some of the things we can talk about um, with this series. So I think we're just so excited to be able to do this and we've been talking about it forever, but we'll be adding more things to the Patreon throughout the year um, as award season progresses. You guys can get access to video recordings, video interviews, things like that. So yeah, I'm excited to have it up and running now. Very fun. Again, thank you all so much for listening. If you like our podcast, feel free to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also find us on socials at Oscar Wilde Pod. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.